0: Welcome to, welcome, 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 welcome to Spark NC.
1: With us today is Claudia Cabello Hutt and Angela Robbins, both professors, PhD professors um, in their respective uh, colleges. <laughs> um, Dr. Cabello Hutt works here at UNCG, and Dr. Robbins works at Meredith College. Um, Dr. Uh, Cabello-Hutt, will you give us a little more uh, information? Give us a brief description about yourself.
2: Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Yubi, and thank you, Dorian, for inviting me, and I'm uh, excited to also meet and talk with Angela today. Uh, I'm Claudia cabello I teach Latin American Literature, Culture, and Women and Gender Studies at UNCG. I'm affiliated with the Department of Languages, Literatures, and Cultures, where I'm uh, the Director of Graduate Studies, and I am also in the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies program. I've been uh, at UNCG for 10 years now. Um, This was my first job right after grad school. I went to Rutgers University. I studied Latin American Literature and Women and Gender Studies. Um, yeah, and that's, that's me. And I, and I'm, I really love being here and I love working with UNCG students.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kaveh Yohad. Um, Dr. Kaveh Yohad was actually one of my professors and I really enjoyed a lot of her content. She was like on point. So thank you. Um, Dr. Mm -hmm. Robbins, will you give us a brief description, uh, introduction about yourself?
3: Sure. Thank you, Yubi. Thank you, Dorian. Thank you, Claudia. I'm excited to be part of this conversation today. Um, Yes, uh, my name is Angela Robbins. I am an alum three times over from UNCG. My bachelor's was in uh, middle grades education, and I taught middle school for several years and then decided to return to UNCG for graduate studies. Um, And I have a master's and a PhD in history from UNCG. Um, I teach at Meredith College, which is a small, private, liberal arts women's college. Um, It suits me really well because we have um, lots of students, as you can imagine, who get really excited about women's history. So uh, that makes it fun for me because that is my area of focus. U.S. history broadly, but women's history uh, specifically. Um, And, you know... One of the other things that's exciting about teaching at a small women's college is that we're really fostering leadership skills among our students, helping them to find their voice. Um, And that's a really exciting thing on a day to day basis as well. So, yeah, so that's just a little bit about me.
0: And thank you both for giving us a bit of insight about what you do um, and to the UNCG alumni community. Now we'll have a brief discussion um, with some interview questions for you both about your work and then why women's history is so important. So for our first question, and we'll begin with you, Dr. Robbins, um, what is a binge-worthy podcast or show that you love that highlights women history, uh, women's history or women in power?
3: Um, yeah, this is awesome. Um I'm a big old history nerd. So um, one of the things that I uh, tune into regularly is the Smithsonian's Side Door podcast series. Um, It's a deep dive into topics in U.S. history that are often very unfamiliar. And so that, of course, includes uh, episodes focused on women's and gender history. So a lot of things you wouldn't have gotten in a classroom, a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily read about or learn about, you know, just in general, Um, and they do a great job focusing on those things. Uh, And right now, I'm totally obsessed with Polly Murray, and uh, Leonita Inge with North Carolina Public Radio and WUNC has a relatively new podcast titled Polly the Podcast, which I recommend to everyone. Um, Polly Murray wasn't really in a position of power, so to speak, but she was a civil rights and women's rights pioneer. Um, she challenged racial discrimination at UNC and sex discrimination at Harvard, and she lost lost on both counts. Um, she organized an early sit-in to challenge segregation at a D.C. restaurant while she was a student at Howard University. She co-founded NOW with the better-known feminist icon Betty Friedan, and she coined the term Jane Crow to bring attention to the double discrimination that black women face in our country. Um, and she also wrote a paper as a law student titled Jane Crow and the Law, which influenced Ruth Bader Ginsburg and for which RBG recognized and honored Polly Murray. Um, so it's pretty astonishing that Polly Murray isn't very well known and isn't widely celebrated. And I just feel like Things like this podcast will really help correct that. So, yeah, er, I I encourage everybody to tune into that one in particular.
0: It's funny. I feel like I keep taking notes as we keep talking because I'm finding out more things.
3: (laughs) I see you be nodding your head.
1: I am also like meticulously taking notes. (laughs)
0: I'll say, and that's the one thing I know that we're all fortunate to be in the university setting because I feel like I get these little nuggets every day. and what do you have, Dr. Claudia? Um,
2: well, uh, the the pandemic has actually allowed me <laughs> to listen to a lot of podcasts and, and watch some shows. In terms of shows, I was thinking I really really enjoyed uh, Mrs. America. Uh, I think it's on Hulu about the fight for the equal rights amendment in nineteen the nineteen seventies. As an as of as a foreigner for me as somebody who didn't grow up in the U S uh, that part of feminist history is, uh, I did, I was not as familiar with. So that show, I think it's a great way to understand, um, the equal rights amendment struggle, uh, that is still ongoing. Um, for like a more international perspective, I strongly recommend uh, a Spanish documentary on Netflix Um, It is called What the F is Going On? And it's from 2019, and it shows the Spanish feminist movement and all the profound cultural shifts that are happening in Spain right now through interviews of Spanish women of all ages and all ethnic backgrounds. And I thought they did a really amazing job. Um, And if if you want to know what feminists are doing in other parts of the world, I strongly recommend that. Um, and one of my podcasts that I've been listening to uh, lately is called All My Relations. Um, it's hosted by um, two young um, women, Mitsika Wilbur and Adrienne Keene. Um, one of them is a, from the a Cherokee Nation, and the other one is Tula Lip. Uh, and they talk about representations of Native people in mainstream media. They also talk a lot about um, human and non-human relations from an intersectional feminist perspective. And that's all my relations. Uh, It's on, you know, everywhere, but I listen to all my podcasts on Spotify. (laughs) Uh, And I really, I've learned a lot again, because I know that I study Latin America. I study my region and sometimes I have this curiosity and desire to learn about what women in other parts of the world and other cultures are, you know, dealing with. So, yeah, that has been great.
1: It's so amazing to me that, you know, we can learn from each other even across borders and across, uh, you know, uh, seas. Uh, we all women have so much in common that, it's just beautiful when you just pollinate everything together. And intersectionality, it is very, um, it is overlooked in, in many ways. And so um, I appreciate that aspect and really bringing attention to that part of, of um, the feminist movement. My question is for you, Dr. Robbins, uh, which theme of women's history most inspires you? Hmm. Um, well, you know, like most people, I am really
3: inspired by and fascinated by women who challenge the status quo. We pay a lot of attention to that, right? When we think about women in history, women who stand out for one reason or another. So women who were the first in their fields or their positions, for example, right? Um, And it's, you know, it's kind of, astonishing to me in many ways that there are still so many firsts to pay attention to, right? Because, um, like, for example, Kamala Harris being elected the first woman and first woman of color to be vice president, right? Um, Now that she's no longer a senator, we don't have any black women in the Senate. Um, So, you know, this is kind of mind blowing. (laughs) These things are still happening on a regular basis. It's a constant reminder of how underrepresented women still are in political office in particular, but in other um, positions and other fields. Um, But I'm also really inspired by the everyday lives of women. And as a matter of fact, that's what we focus on most of the time in classes. Um, I think that's where we best see our own connections to people in the past. Um, We can imagine their lives and experiences because we might be able to put ourselves in their shoes and then the history comes to life. Reminds me of what you said earlier, Yubi, about all the connections among women. You know, that's true, like you said, across cultures. That's also true across generations and across time periods, right? There's so many ways that we women see ourselves in other women's stories and other women's history, right? So when we can make sense of it all, and it all has meaning for us, um, to me, that's what studying history is all about. And that's, again, what brings it to life for my students.
1: That, that beautifully said, uh, Dr. Robbins, about, you know, how we just can learn from each other, not just, you know, culturally, but across generations. I have always said, I was born in the wrong age, but I was born in the right age, to just go back and look and just learn from everything that has uh, happened. So I'm thankful for that. What about you, um, Dr. Kaveh-Yohat? What theme of women's history inspires you the most?
2: Well, I don't know if it's a theme, but I would say that especially after, not after, Uh, during the pandemic and now as we are trying to emerge from it, my mind is set on how our struggle is ongoing and how we need to persist. Uh, I have been really heartbroken to see all the loss of advances in women's, um, not only, uh, rights, but daily lives, uh, with the pandemic. Uh, there's Many, many, there are many excellent articles and essays that have, are being written about this. And I am sure that a lot of the impact on women's lives, we're going to be studying for years and decades. But the, the, the basic things such as like the, um, disparity in unemployment, uh, the, during the pandemic, uh, how many families had to prioritize men's careers over women's careers because of childcare demands? I've seen, I've seen it with my own eyes, even at UNCG, with uh, lecturers and other employees who decided to not decided, but were kind of forced to take a year leave or to or to give up their jobs in order to take care of small children. Um, all this impact on women's like you know, ability to get promotions in the long term, uh, to be financially independent, uh, the crisis of childcare that this pandemic has revealed, um, in, in, in the fact that we don't have, in, in many cases, we don't have paid family leave that is guaranteed for everyone. I, I've been worrying and, and feeling really sad this year about the impacts on women's mental health. Uh, and how the labor of caring for other people, we know, falls disproportionately on women. Not only children, we have to think about parents, community, friends. Uh, in, in this is something that we need to interrogate ourselves about. And we have to find a, a way forward so we can't... I mean, it's been hard to celebrate, to be honest, this Women's History Month, mm-hmm. more than just to take stock and think... What is happening? What can we do for women in our lives right now? Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: It's so interesting. I was thinking about what you said, especially when it comes to kind of the gender pay gap. I'll be honest, it wasn't a lot that I knew until all these movements and everything on social media kind of blew up, especially in the past year um, with everyone working from home. And I think everyone's kind of had some reflection time to think about those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I'm really, you know, it's kind of been brought to the forefront and I'm, I'm actually really happy. I think that is one of the, the better things to come out of all of this because people have been able to think about, you know, the talent of women and people that have had at their jobs that they say, Hey, you know, this person does go above and beyond. They do need this extra help. Um, so kind of in that same vein, uh, what is a notable quality from uh, women leaders that you've studied in the past? Um, and I'll start again with you, Angela.
3: Um, well, you know, a lot of the research I do is from you know the distant past—fifty years ago, a hundred years ago—for American history. That's distant. For other parts of the world, it's, it's not so much. But um, the and but the world was so different for women then, right? They were overcoming overcoming barriers and notions about their not belonging in certain places or not belonging in certain positions. And so that's always really notable. Um, and I think of the theme of this discussion, how do we define leadership, right? Because historically women were not viewed as leaders, even in their own movements and their own spaces sometimes. Um, sort of uh, famously, if you will, we have, um, a lot of research about women in the civil rights movement, for example. And yet um, even with all of this evidence and all this information and women clearly taking on leadership roles, they still weren't presented as leaders of the movement. Men kept being presented as leaders of the movement. And we've been grappling with that a lot um, since that time period. And it, and it forces us to ask questions about other areas as well, right? I mean, if we can identify this in the civil rights movement, where clearly women were taking on such important positions um, and were leaders in their own communities and in this movement itself, if we can identify that in that particular space and time, um, there are a lot of lessons to be learned about other areas and other places. So Again, this um, discussion about women in leadership positions, women um, breaking into um, fields where they haven't you know, normally had a place, haven't normally had a voice, haven't normally had an opportunity. Um, and, you know, why is it, how is it that we don't recognize um, what women are doing as leadership? Um, we don't offer women um positions, you know, where they are overseeing other people, where they are managing other people. We see them as sort of helpmates or subordinates most of the time rather than as leaders. And then when they are leaders, we criticize them in such very different ways than we do men. We have certainly different expectations of women in leadership positions than we do um, of men. So I think there's just a lot of Lessons we can learn from that history. Um, so, you know, this idea of women who were were confronting that, that we're still confronting that. Um, again, this idea that we don't have a place, we don't have a space in uh, leadership positions, but forging ahead, women who claimed their spaces insisted that their voices be heard. And then, yeah, recognizing their stories and listening to their voices now, right? And honoring that and honoring uh, their place in that history, I think is so important. So it's kind of funny that you brought it back up when you talked about
0: podcasts. I think, again, that's another reason, you know, kind of while we're doing this podcast to get the word out, but, you know, so that we can hear more about these stories and, You know, I just find it so inspiring that, you know, first of all, that we could get a hold of you two with all the awesome work that you're doing, you know, to be on our podcast. But I think it's really, really awesome uh, with that theme of kind of highlighting and listening to those voices, because, again, they've been kind of ignored, unfortunately, over the course of history. Um, Dr. Cabello, do you have an answer for us?
2: Sure. Uh, Well, um, I also study women from the past. Um, so I, my research is on women between 1920s and 1940s in Latin America and Spain. Uh, but I would say that what I have really, um, learned, um, and admire every day is the vision and the confidence to think outside the box and then to act accordingly. Uh, you know, their confidence in their own sense of justice and freedom against like social norms, expectations of women uh, and the price they had to pay for this inspires me every day. Uh, I study women that lost, uh, you know, custody of your, their children or, you know, they were excommunicated. They were publicly shamed uh, for, ver- for things that today we would find uh, ridiculous, you know. They were. They wanted to publish a certain novel or they, you know, they wanted to divorce their husbands and take their children. Um, and so uh, I just, um, I think that was my first research question, even when I was in, in college. It was like, I, I admire their, first their ability to see a path that was different, but then to go ahead and actually try to take that path and i i, I don't want to um i don't want to say that all of them were able to do it because a lot of them uh you know died or or they were committed to like institutions or you know they had to pay a really high price uh, but i always talk to my students about this because i think it allows us to um learn Um, not only about the past, but about the present and how sometimes we hear people in our own communities who want a different path for their lives. And, you know, we have to stop and think, why are we pushing people away from their paths? Why are we sometimes laughing or shaming people? Maybe it's going to look different than what it looked like a hundred years ago. But, you know, I, I see it every day. People are still doing it. So Yeah, I just I just admire courage,
1: and I think that courage does you know come with a big big price. Whether it's back, uh, you know, in women's suffrage movement or in our Latin American countries, Um, and sometimes that confidence kind of titter tottered. If you, for the a lack of better term, um, you had no other choice, but to be courageous and to move forward with it or else there's like your life, your sanity is at stake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that, that's very well said. Um, so with that, uh, kind of going into which leader inspired you, um, or who you get to, um, to explore in women's history. Well, I would have to
2: say, uh, I would have to say Gabriela Mistral because I wrote a book about her. So uh, I better, even though at this point I feel like I know so much about her and I'm so tired. But um, I, I have to say Gabriela Mistral uh, because she for. For those of you who are not familiar with Latin American literature, she's the first writer. She's the first Latin American writer to be awarded the Nobel prize for literature, mm-hmm. man or woman. Um, and um, she was a poet. She was a teacher. She was a diplomat. She was an a uh, public intellectual. Uh, she lived and traveled all around uh, the world. Um, she never married. She had an adopted Son. And um, what inspired me uh, at first was that when I went to school and I studied her, I thought she was really not interesting and a pretty sad figure. Uh, and I didn't like her poetry. I didn't like the stories I was hearing about her. Um, and then in college, my professors didn't really talk much about her. Um, and then it I had to come across her essays to realize that she was such a bright, amazing woman. And I felt very angry. I felt very frustrated and angry because as a little girl as a nerd that liked to read and learn about history. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to, to, to have role models to, to think, Oh, there's this woman in my own country who who was who spoke in the United Nations? Who helped uh, who helped write the you know children's rights in the United Nations? That nobody told me anything about that. They told me this was a very um, good a uh, children poet like and she did this and that and she was a teacher and she was unmarried and, and very sad and she never had children and like the the person she loved committed suicide. So it was tragedy and then just this very obscure, um, I don't know, biography. Um, and then that made me really upset. So my, my work then became to change the image that my, um, you know, people like my compatriots in Chile, but also Latin American people had of her. And so I did this whole research on her work as a public intellectual. Um, and I did not write anything about her poetry because many, many books have been written about it. I just wrote about her as, um, this extraordinary woman. Um, and, and I learned so much about that. And now I feel so happy because I see that kind of research that me and other people did that is trickling down to textbooks, to plays, to movies, and we see her representation change and two days ago, uh, it was her birthday, um, and, um, and Chile, um, the, 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 cultural center in Chile, uh, was streaming a play mm-hmm. about her and they invited me because the playwright, um, cited my book as one of the sources of the play. So I watched the, the show and for, for the first time in so you know so long, I was able to be like, "Oh my goodness!" Like thousands of people are getting to see a representation of her that is more nuanced, that it's more uh, powerful, that um, that doesn't reduce her to anything mm-hmm. um, for good and for bad. Because mm-hmm. she was, she was also be- turned into an icon, but then all her humanity was removed from her. She was um, just put on a pedestal and, you know, people are rarely able to stand on a pedestal. So um, I, I feel like, yeah, I can close that chapter and then on to the next project.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. I am looking forward to knowing more about her. Um, we tend to box our, you know, ourselves, even, even ourselves. And then we tend to box other women. Um, and looking at them from, again, that intersectionality, they're not just this, they're so much more. Um, Dr. Robbins, tell us about your, uh, inspirational woman who inspires you.
3: Well, I'm going to build on what you just said, Yubi, about intersectionality and how important that is and this is not something that when I was a student, we really paid attention to. You know, this is something that as a scholar, as a teacher, this is something that I've paid more attention to. We've been more uh, apt to talk about intersectionality in recent years, although. Um, African-American women talked about intersectionality for a long, long time, a long, long time ago. <laughs> it just, it wasn't, it didn't quite <laughs> drop that, uh, that terminology until Kimberly Crenshaw came along. Um, but but women of color have talked about, you know, where their identities meet. Polly Murray was is an example. I mentioned her earlier. She's an example of someone who talked about how, Um, Her identity as a woman was important. Her identity as a black woman was important. And the two of those came together in her. That's the way she talked about it. Those things, those identities come together in me, um, which I think is really powerful. Um, And so just a couple of examples from suffrage history, because, you know, we tend to think of suffrage as this huge you know, milestone, which it was, and this huge success story for women, right? And then that means we're forgetting about a lot of the women who didn't get the right to vote in 1920 when the 19th Amendment was ratified. And there are a couple of obscure figures from the suffrage movement that I wish more people knew about. Uh, one of those is Zitka Lassa, um, who was Native American, and who was raised at an Indian boarding school, um, or I shouldn't say raised at, but she was educated at an Indian boarding school. And as an adult woman, she became a teacher at an Indian boarding school. And eventually, she turned away from that and uh, rather embraced her. Um, promoting Indian culture, the preservation of Indian culture, and the telling of Indian stories that otherwise were going to be lost. She recognized that that's part of what assimilation was doing to her Native culture. Um, And she was a suffrage activist. And here's the kicker. She was fighting for suffrage for women, recognizing that as a Native American woman, she wouldn't be able to vote anyway because she didn't have citizenship. And so uh, and so many other women like her didn't have citizenship. And so they wouldn't actually be able to vote. But she still got out there and and um, was an activist for voting for women. And another example uh, is Mabel Pingwa Lee, uh, who as a Chinese American woman, um, also because of the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, was barred from citizenship. And yet she became a suffrage activist. She fought for women to have the right to vote. Again, fully knowing full well that she herself would not have the right to vote uh, once women won it. Um, And there are countless examples of African-American women in the movement um, who were well aware um, that if they were not middle class, if they were not educated Uh, If they didn't have a certain status in American society, that they, too, would be barred from voting even after the 19th Amendment was ratified. Um, And many white suffrage activists actually were willing to sacrifice women of color in the movement in order to... Ensure that the Nineteenth Amendment would be ratified. So this is a very complicated history. We were talking about uh, what women share, but we also remember with intersectionality that um, that our identities are distinctive as well. And you know, there's a certain status and certain privilege that come with some identities and not with others. And this is just a reality um, of women's lives.
0: Thank you so much for that. Um, We'll switch gears a little bit um, to kind of find out more about your relationship with UNCG. Um, So how has UNCG shaped your career? Um, And I'll go back to you, Dr. Robbins.
3: Okay. thank you. Well, I have a long relationship with UNCG. I love UNCG. (laughs) Um, I've got a great education um, at UNCG. Um, and first, yeah, that, that, that's the thing that I go back to, that I got a rigorous education and I was pushed to stretch myself. Um, I'm first generation, so going to college and then going to graduate school was really unexpected in many ways. Um, and I wouldn't say I was the best prepared college student in many ways, uh, but in other ways, I was so curious and this world of knowledge opened to me and I was definitely hungry for that. So I was a good college student in that sense. Um, In graduate school, one of the most important things was that the history department provided me with valuable mentors who are incredible scholars and teachers. Um, And I was a TA. So I was in the classroom with many of them, learning from them, observing their examples. Right. So that was extremely valuable. And um, particularly that there are a lot of women faculty in the program and we all need women as mentors because they show us the way and reinforce that women belong in our, in our fields. Um, And that's something that I love seeing at UNCG. There are lots of women faculty across the board. um, But I think we all recognize that's not true at many institutions and that's not true in many fields, which are traditionally dominated by men. Um, women in STEM fields, for example, often talk about the trouble they have finding a mentor. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have had these accomplished role models as I went through the program and gained experience conducting research and teaching.
0: Right, and Dr. Cabello Hutt?
2: Um, well, uh, UNCG, I came here in 2009, and UNCG uh, really has offered me um, the opportunity to build an amazing community. I would say that's the first one for me. I studied my PhD at a state university and my undergraduate at a public university. And I do believe strongly in the mission of public universities to advance uh, knowledge for everyone to open its doors to whoever uh, wants to learn uh, and wants a degree. And to also advance public good and justice. Um, I want the knowledge that we produce at public universities to be openly accessible to everyone, to benefit uh, the community, the state and the world. Um, And uh, in that sense, I feel like this is a place for me. I love working with students from diverse backgrounds and life experiences. I feel like, um, my values are aligned with the mission of UNCG. Um, and I, and, and that makes me um, feel that my work is more meaningful. Um, you know, working with those students, um, working with colleagues that are also uh, supportive of this um, mission of this university um, and we have a really wonderful community, both at LLC and Women and Gender and Sexuality Studies. Uh, I've, at a broader level, I've also felt extremely supported in my research, uh, like through awards and fellowships and research assignments. The kind of research that I do uh, that, is, that is more uh, related to history than to literature, I have to say, requires a lot of archival work and travel to places because I'm trying to unearth history that is not published in many cases. So it, it is, um, it can be expensive. So I consider myself extremely privileged to be able to do this work. And then of course, my mission is to spread that knowledge to everyone. Uh, and I that's why, for example, one of the things that I do is that I write and I publish both in English and Spanish. And I try to publish both in Latin America and in the United States and Europe. So the work that I'm doing is not closed off to somebody because of a language access issue. Um, so I feel like it it all kind of makes sense to me to be in a place like this.
1: Yes. With that, to add to that a little more, what are action steps that... Um, that the greater alumni community can take to get more information and learn more? Well, I mean, that's one of the
3: exciting things about a university community is there's so many wonderful things going on all the time, right? You have wonderful scholars like Dr. Cabello Hunt, right? You have um, the Alumni Association, (laughs) which is always putting on uh, events and activities that can keep people involved and keep them active, um, so, I mean, I think the important thing is to just pay attention to notices as they come across and pay attention to announcements about various speakers on campus and panels, you know, because uh, many of the professors uh, on campus will come together um, with other experts from the community, right, um, and bring these wonderful ideas um, and conversations to campus. And so there's all, always this opportunity for lifelong learning um, that I think is just so important and so critical. And yeah, a public university like UNCG is constantly providing, I think, a lot of opportunities for that. And that's one of the things that's really exciting about being a part of the community. Yeah, whether you're an alum or a student or, uh, or on the faculty or staff, I think it uh, it helps uh, helps you make those connections uh, to other people, which are really valuable and important.
1: Is there anything that you would like to add, Dr. Kaveh Kaveh-Yohat?
2: Well, I I would just support uh, the idea of lifelong learning and the and that um, I would hope that the greater alumni community feels still part of a community of learning and. Um, that we continue to open spaces for conversations and specifically on women's issues could be, or at any level, but also that we look at, um, at both the community level, like the campus life, like how are women in our campus feeling? What are their challenges? How can we support each other? And then also our broader community like Greensboro and the immigrant and refugee women in Greensboro and, and then we go from there to the world. So I think to to understand that we're all connected, um, and I would say also um, to connect people around topics in causes they're passionate about. So to connect alumni with students, with faculty, with staff, uh, I feel there's so much to gain from intergenerational communication. Uh, 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 Maybe now with social media, sometimes that, our, our social life and the kind of input we get are mostly from our friends or from our generation or our parents are on Facebook and the, and the, and the little ones are at on TikTok and everybody has their own platform. Um, um, but I think connecting with people from different generations is transformational. And I think the alumni community is a wonderful place to make that happen.
1: That's amazing. It, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there, there's plenty of places that we can interact with other generations and feed off one another and grow. So thank you. This, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Well, and I'll tell you, I, I love it that she gave us a challenge because we're like challenge accepted, you know,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I know, I'm just really excited. And you guys see me the whole time taking my notes to get our podcast to understand and, and learn about more in, in books because I love to read. Um, but before we kind of dive in and ask you guys maybe a little bit more that you'd like to share, um, what is a moment um, of women's empowerment that inspired you? And it could be, you know, past or present.
2: Well, so, so many, so many, but, uh, I would go, I would say something more personal. One of the things that has inspired me the most is to see women older than me, my mother and my grandmother who still lives, um, become feminists that has been beautiful and just, um, I'm so excited and happy for them to see them each in their own ways with their own, um, life experiences become feminists later in life. Uh, I think they, they, in some ways they, they always were, uh, but, um, but to, to be more explicit about it and to think critically about their life and their choices and to defend their, their boundaries and to say, Oh, you know, this weekend I'm going with my friends and, um, this is what I'm going to do. And, and I'm just so happy to see them do that. Or when my grandma told me when I was fresh out of college, and I was getting married, and she was like, you know, you don't have to have babies right away. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh."
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you know,
2: um, we, we've had really beautiful conversations with my grandma, my mom, my sisters, and our children now, about uh, women's rights and how we feel about things. And that has been so inspirational to me. It gives me a lot of hope.
3: You know, it's so wonderful to hear you say that because my response is very similar, only the other direction, younger women, the younger generation, because when I first started teaching at Meredith, it was 2013, And I was hard-pressed to find any students in my classes who would call themselves feminist. Um, They saw it in a negative light. They had been taught negative things about feminism, I guess, and it internalized a lot of these things. And Me Too actually changed a lot of that, the Me Too movement, because what seemed to be happening was um, that my students were starting to see that they could relate to the experiences that these women were talking about. uh, surrounding the Me Too movement. Uh, And that made them more comfortable to open up about their own experiences. So when we talked about the history of discrimination against women in the workplace, when we talked about sexual harassment in a historical sense, right? Laws that work to limit women Students were then better able to connect the history they were learning um, to their own experiences or their friends or family members' experiences, right? Times when they were catcalled, how they had to protect themselves from customers' advances if they worked at a bar or a restaurant, for example, Um, how they could see that victims are often blamed for harassment or even acts of violence, including rape, right? And so students started to make these connections themselves because they felt they could identify with these women. And I think a lot of times they didn't feel that same kind of connection to women from the past, or they had this idea that somehow, you know, well, we had a women's movement and that solved all these problems and there weren't barriers for women anymore, right? Women can do anything. And then they were starting to see, well, yeah. You can do anything. You can go to, into just about any field, but there are still these limits on you. There are still these barriers. There are still these issues that you're going to confront on a consistent basis. You can be the best manager in your workplace and still face sexual harassment or a gender pay gap, right? There are so many things that are still there and they, you know, Uh, Many times because they had not experienced it or because they had this uh, notion that we had solved all those problems and we had moved on, (laughs) that they just didn't really identify it. and It seemed like something that they needed or that they wanted in their lives. And now, if I ask straight up, the majority of students say, yes, I am a feminist. And they can even tell you why. This is why I'm a feminist. This is why it matters to me. And it wasn't that long ago when they couldn't and they didn't. And so that's a really amazing thing to me, too.
1: That is definitely an eye-opener. I recently found, or I was forwarded a a quote from a friend. Um, It was in Spanish, and I'll read it in Spanish and I'll translate it into English. And it says, La intensidad de una mujer genera incomodidad en todos, también en ella misma. Se nos ha enseñado a ser amables, a no enfadarnos, incluso cuando nuestra propia vida o cordura está en juego. And that translates to, a woman's intensity generates discomfort in everyone, also in herself. We are taught to be kind, not to get angry, even when our own life and sanity are at stake. And that's by P.L. Raleigh. I think this this concludes our discussion. This was a beautiful discussion to talk about women, our accomplishments, and the way that we empower one another through these conversations. Um, I think it's beautiful. It brings us together and it brings a sense of community, um, which that in itself um, is bigger because we can't just do it. On ourselves. And Dr. Cabello and I talked about this a little bit in our chat before this, um, that we need, we need each other. We definitely need each other. So thank you. I know I have you guys in our corner. So I appreciate your time. And thank you so much.
0: Yeah. And thank you both so much for the work that you're doing, your willingness to be on our podcast and to, you know, teach us more. I, I'm really excited to dive into some of those
2: podcasts and the books that you all shared. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, you, V, Dorian, and Angela. And yeah, anytime for anything else, I'm happy to do it. Okay.
3: Have a thank wonderful you. weekend. Absolutely. You too. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you all so much.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spartan Speak podcast. We appreciate your support of the UNCG Alumni Channel. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to tell a friend.